common sense theology. And uh, my, my late Grandpa Smith, one of the most godly men that I've ever known, his favorite book of the Bible was Proverbs. And uh, he had a philosophy for life. Uh, he would read the Proverbs every day of his life. He said, if, if the primary thing is to get wisdom, he said, then I should not only read other portions of the Bible, but he said, I should read the Proverbs every day. And he did that every day of his adult life. He took a, a scripture from Proverbs and he would uh, memorize it. He would work on it and he would quote it throughout the day. And uh, I think that's a tremendous way to approach life. And he was a wise man. He was a wise man. Did you know, I'll just throw this in there. I was missing my grandpa the other day. We lost him a few years ago now. And I was, I was thinking about uh, his life and his upbringing. Uh, he didn't graduate high school. Uh, he went, he worked hard all through high school. He had jobs. And then uh, his junior year, uh, his family got in some financial trouble. And so he took a full-time job at 17, and then he didn't graduate high school. And uh, then he uh, moved and got a job in Flint, Michigan, working for the, uh, that was when the auto industry was booming in, in Flint, Michigan. Got a good job with uh, GMC, and uh, that lasted for a while. But home started calling. There's no place like home. The South, you know, he had one winter in Flint, Michigan, and he said, this is not of God. And he said, so we're getting away from there and uh, went back to uh, Tennessee, got a job with Tennessee Power and Light, uh, worked there all of his uh, adult life, uh, put 40 years in, and worked his way up from being someone who had no high school degree, no high school diploma, worked his way up to where he was running the entire plant at Tennessee Power and Light. He was the top man there. And he would go back to school, work, did school at night, got his GED, got certifications and things like that. And the moral of that story is he was one of the wisest men that I've ever known. And what does that tell me? Education is not the same as wisdom. Hello. Education is not the same as wisdom. And you can grow in wisdom. In fact, I think that you should seek wisdom more than you should seek education. Are you against education? No, I'm all for education. Uh, but I think that if you had to choose between one or the other, you should seek wisdom first. Amen? Wisdom will take you farther than education will. And wisdom will, will direct your life. And uh, it will cause you to excel in life. Wise people excel in life. They excel spiritually. They excel in other ways. And, uh, and so we should seek after wisdom. Can you say wisdom? And that's what the book of Proverbs is teaching us. It's the primary theme. Uh, and then throughout it, it's peppered with nuggets of wisdom, small bites of truth that help us to know how to be wise. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 3, and the next slide is Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 9. 
And uh, what we're doing is we're just kind of jumping. If you, if you study the book of Proverbs, you'll notice it's not like most other books of the Bible. Uh, each chapter doesn't stay necessarily on one topic. In fact, every verse can sometimes just change topics just quickly, just kind of peppers you with, with little nuggets of truth. And so we're going to be jumping from point to point, and that's exactly how Proverbs does. And so if you have attention deficit disorder, read the book of Proverbs, because if you get bored with one thing, it's going to take you to something else real fast. So uh, Proverbs 3 and 9 is dealing with the concept of giving. And I wanted to get this one out of the way because I knew we'd tense up. I said the word giving, and we all just got tense. Some of your shoulders just tightened up. You're going to need a chiropractor in the morning. But the very first verse begins with the subject of giving, but specifically, it's talking about giving to God first. Giving to God first. Let's read it together, shall we? Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your crops. And the reason that I put the amplified version on the screen, I know that uh, most of us are reading from the King James as we should, but I wanted you to notice from the amplified version that right next to crops, and I use the amplified version as a study help, not as a main Bible translation. I don't even think of it as a literal translation, but it does give study helps. And it, it, transliterates the word crops. And do you see the word right next to it there, the word income? How many see that word there? Can you say income? All right. Boy, it just was like gravel coming out of your past your teeth. Word income. Because here's where most people struggle. Uh, I hear this more and more these days. People who don't want to give to the Lord, uh, they'll point to the Old Testament and they'll say, well, we don't have crops anymore and they tithe of crops. But if you study the original language here, in this particular case, it would have been Hebrew, you'll see that the word crops actually comes from the root word income. And so, of course, in the Old Testament, the majority of people's income, being an agricultural society, their income was crops. That's how they bartered. That's how they bought and sold. They would trade. But it was considered income just like your financial income would be today. And so they tithed off of their increase or off of their income. And, and more specifically, we see that wisdom honors the Lord with its wealth and with the first fruits. So the first portion. In other words, we should give to God first out of all of our income and then as there almost always is in Scripture, the Scripture will command us or entreat us to give to the Lord, and there is almost always a promise attached to it. How many love that? It's almost like God made us and He knows something about our nature. Isn't that interesting? And, and I think that God understood that uh, humans are going to naturally struggle with the concept and the necessity of giving and so I'm going to give them a promise every time I command them to give. I'm going to give them a promise. And here it is. Then your barns will be abundantly filled. Can you say, thank you, Jesus? And so there's a promise. Give. Here's another one. Give and it shall be given unto you. Amen? And so the main theme here is that wisdom understands 
that God is the source of all of our wealth. God is the source, and you may say, well, I'm not wealthy. If you have anything, that's wealth that God has given you. And God is the source of everything that we have. And so we know that we're commanded to give our tithes, that's 10%. Offerings, that's above and beyond. It's free will. We give it out of love. There's no limit. And, but God says, give tithes and give offerings. And then God says, and you need to give it first to me. In other words, Wells Fargo should not receive what you owe them before you give to God. Here's where a lot of people get messed up when it comes to giving to God. And here's why many people never give. They give to everyone else first. And then they say, well, Lord, uh, if, if it's left over, well, then maybe I'll give to you. We should give God our first fruits. We should give to him first, and he should be the priority in our life. Can I get an amen, even if you don't feel like it? God should be the priority in our life. And I'm going to give you the same promise that the Bible gives you. This isn't my promise. This is God's promise to you. If you will put him first financially and also in every other way, but if you will put him first financially, God will provide for you. God will make sure there is always enough. Just like the widow woman when the prophet came and, and she was about to go home and there was a great famine in the land and she was going to make her last little loaf of bread. She just had just enough oil and just enough flour and she was out gathering sticks to make a little fire. She was going to make that last little meal for her and her son and then they were going to wait for death. They were literally anticipating starving to death. And the prophet comes along and says, I'd like you to make me a meal. And she realized, this is my last meal. Now, that sounded harsh, didn't it? And many of us in our modern culture would say, well, no one has a right. God doesn't have a right to ask me for that last little. This is all I have. Does God want me to starve to death? Does God want me to die? Does God, does God not realize what a sacrifice that is? But when she was obedient in her giving, when she was obedient by faith, what happened? Anybody remember the story? God just kept on refilling those oil barrels, and God just kept on refilling that flour jar, and God provided for her and her family all the way through the end of that famine. How many could testify with an uplifted hand that you've given when you didn't know how it was going to work out, but God took care of you because God always keeps his word. God is not a man that he should lie. And so if God says, if you'll put me first, I'll take care of you, he will do it. He will do it. Amen. And so we should always put God first. Many people uh, find it easier to put God first in other things and struggle to put God first financially. But God wants to be the priority in every area of our life. All right, now that you hate me, I'll move to the next slide. And uh, we'll go to the next. I told you we're just going to bounce from proverb to proverb here. And we'll look at Proverbs 3 and 11. And this is a proverb that is dealing with the concept of correction. You might hate me some more after this one, but uh, we'll get to some other things quickly here. Now, Proverbs 3 is dealing with the concept of the importance of being able to receive rebuke, uh, correction, 
and, and really it's implied, it doesn't come right out and say it, but it's also dealing with the concept of not being easily offended. Don't look at anybody in this room, but how many know someone who is very easily offended? Don't look around. They're hard to deal with, aren't they? People who are extremely, I'm talking, you can just, I mean, you can do almost anything, and they're going to be offended. We all know people like that. It's very difficult to deal with those kind of people. It's very difficult to employ those kind of people. How many have ever employed people before? I've hired and fired people, and I can tell you, the most difficult people to have working for you are people who are easily offended and who cannot receive any kind of instruction. They take every little bit of instruction as, and here's how they usually are perceiving it. You don't think I'm good enough. You don't like me. I know how to do it. Why would you tell me what to do? You know what that really comes from? You know what I'm describing? It's a spirit of pride. Pride says no one can show me how to do anything because I know everything. That's the opposite of how God wants us to be. God wants us to walk humbly to where we recognize I may not know all the answers. Here I am a, a preacher of the gospel and I get up here and I recognize every time I stand behind this pulpit, this is a great big book full of illumination, revelation, the power of God. It's the word of God. And I am not silly enough to think that I have every single answer. I can be taught. How many can be taught from the word of God? I can receive revelation. I can be touched by God in every area of my life. In fact, one of the smartest things that you can do is recognize that there are things that you don't know and then defer to people who do have the answer. And so Proverbs 3 says, my son, despise not, don't reject or dislike the chastening or the discipline of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction or his rebuke for whom here here it is here's the key for whom the lord loveth he correcteth now correction doesn't feel like love does it it doesn't feel like love but correction is a necessary part of love how many have ever had children here grandchildren uh i only one of us have had children or grandchildren all right <laughs> i figure there's been more than that uh, we know instinctively with children that correction is very important. In fact, I have to remind my father, he's not in here so I can get away with saying this, but I have to remind him that he corrected me and my brothers. And sometimes he doesn't want me to correct my son or my daughter because grandparents lose their minds. Did you know that? He's not in here. That's all right. You can tattletale on me if you want to later. I've, I've talked to him about that. No, he, he understands. I'm teasing a little bit. But in all sincerity, grandparents want to have a different type of relationship. But parents understand that you have to correct your children or you're going to have a 23-year-old brat living in your basement. All right, I hurt somebody's feelings. But we're in Proverbs. I'm going to help you. All right, you have to correct your children. Or, or they're going to be disrespectful to adults. They're going to be disrespectful to authority. They're never going to know how to live. They're never going to know how to treat people right. They're never going to have a right attitude. They're certainly not going to have a right attitude before God. And uh, now, 
Before anybody gets their feelings hurt too bad, I was 28-year-old and lived with my parents for a year. I was evangelizing, but had no choice, and we were in and out. But you understand what I'm trying to say. If you, if you don't correct properly, then you wind up with attitude problems all throughout life. And so even as adults, though, if we're not careful, we can have an attitude that says, now I'm an adult and no one can correct me. And at its worst point, it says, even God can't correct me. I had a Bible study with someone one time, and, and they didn't like it that the Bible uh, talked about uncut hair on women from uh, Corinthians 11. And so I took them to the chapter, and I took them to the verse. And uh, now there are some things that, for example, the Bible never says, thou shalt not smoke marijuana. Everybody understand that? But the Bible gives us all kinds of principles that teach us that smoking marijuana is wrong and contrary to the will of God. I'm going to give you another one, and we'll get uncomfortable, but I'm just going to help somebody today. The Bible never says, thou shalt not watch pornography. But the Bible does say, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Hello, somebody wake up this morning. So there are some things that we know are wrong, even though the Bible doesn't come right out and say necessarily, thou shalt not do this. And I'm glad for that because our Bible would start there and go up to the ceiling. But it does give us wisdom, spiritual principles. It teaches us. And so we understand that some things are wrong uh, because the principle is there. That's why holiness isn't just a list of rules. If you need a list of rules a mile long to live right, you're not doing it right. You need to incorporate the principles, get his word in your heart, be filled with the spirit. The spirit of God will lead you. The spirit of God will guide you. But there are some things that are very, very clear in the Bible. Uncut hair on women is one of them. And so, and so I took this particular man uh, and what was interesting about it is his wife had no problem with it, but uh, he did. And which, by the way, is often the case. I sometimes find when it comes to holiness that women have no trouble, but sometimes it's the husbands that, that have a real issue with it. And so I was showing him in the scripture and he looked at me in the eye and he said, I don't care what that scripture says. So you understand what he was saying? I realized immediately. I realized immediately that he didn't care. He didn't care what the Bible had to say. He hated correction from the word of God. When you get to that place, you're in a very dangerous place. If the word of God can't correct you. Now, I understand that you might could be offended at me. That, that doesn't bother. I'm just a man. And, and so I understand that. You might could be offended at someone else who tries to correct you. I understand that. But if the word of God can't correct you, then you have a serious, serious problem. And you need to find a place of prayer and a place of repentance until God can talk to your spirit. All right, let's go to Proverbs 3. Uh, next slide, Proverbs 3. And I'm going to give you some bullet points because I'm running out of time here. And we're just going to go through 3 through 34. Here's a couple bullet points. Number one, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is within your ability to give it. I think that's a good scripture. I think that we should understand that. Don't withhold doing good for someone when it's in your ability to do it. Now, I understand 
that there are times when we would like to help someone. We would like to do something good for someone, but we simply don't have the means to do it. Anybody ever been there before? It's hard. As a parent, there are things that I would like to do for my children that I simply cannot afford to do. Anybody ever been there? There, there are things that I would like to do for my loved ones that I simply cannot afford to do it. And, and that's okay. But if you have the ability to do it and you refuse to do it out of selfishness or whatever other motivation might cause you to withhold doing good for someone, then, then that's a real problem. Always, if you're going to err, err on the side of doing good for somebody. If you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake on the side of trying to help somebody. And you know, pastor teases me a lot because uh, he likes to help people and, and I tend to be the hard one. And the Lord uh, corrects my spirit all the time and says, if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake on the side of trying to love someone and be helpful to someone. Can you say amen? All right, next point from Proverbs chapter three. Don't put off your giving until tomorrow. Now, we've covered this a little bit, but let me come back to it. Don't put off your giving until tomorrow if you have it today. Can I get an amen? That's called procrastination. My wife will tell you that my number one personality flaw, don't ask her to give you a list, okay? She's got a long one, but if you were to ask her, I guarantee you that my number one personality flaw is procrastination. Any procrastinators in the house today? All right. Any, any people suffering from a case of denial today? Uh, I, I struggle with procrastination. I don't know why. It's, it's just my personality. Ironically, we were talking about it on the way to church today. Uh, even though I procrastinate, I'm a very punctual person. I like to be on time. In fact, I don't feel like I was on time unless I was early. And I get grumpy if I'm late. I mean grumpy. And I have to pray through. And, and, uh, and my wife is a, is a late person. In fact, I adjusted the clock in her car this morning. I'm just getting in trouble because nobody's in here today. I adjusted the clock in her car uh, to make it uh, so she'd feel like she was running late all the time, so it pushed her to be a little earlier. Little tricks you learn. Little tricks you learn. And, and, but it's interesting. I like to study personalities and human nature. And it's fascinating to me that she is, she is not a procrastinator. I mean, if it needs done, she's doing it right that minute. In fact, if it needs done, she's doing it uh, three days sooner. That's just how she is. But she struggles with, with leaving the house on time, and she struggles with being early. I struggled, I put things off, and yet uh, I want to be early for everything. Isn't that strange? You'd think it would be the opposite way, wouldn't you? You'd think the procrastinator would be the late one. And, and I'll tell you that when it comes to giving, you, especially when it comes to giving to God, you should give while you have it. You should give while you have it and, uh, and, and always be faithful with that. Do not argue for argument's sake. Can I get an Amen. Do not argue for argument's sake. Don't argue without reason. You ever known someone who just loved arguing for no reason? 
They didn't have to have a reason. They'd just find something. They could, you could say, the sky's blue today. And they'd say, well, I think it's kind of got a green hue and some yellow. It's not blue at all. You know what I'm talking about? People like that. I mean, anything, any reason to argue. That is not the way that God wants us to be. Don't envy or copy the ways of the wicked because devious people are repulsive to the Lord. But he delights. Can you say he delights? He delights in the upright. Don't envy or copy the ways of the wicked. You should not be adjusting your lifestyle according to what Hollywood stars are doing. You shouldn't be patterning your life after what Lady Gaga is going to do at the halftime today. You shouldn't be copying your life in that way. You should be patterning your life after the Word of God, after the things of God, and after righteous people who God has put as examples in your life. And you need righteous examples in your life. That's why we come to church. One of the many reasons we have a pastor. It's one of the many reasons we have a bishop. It's why we have elders. It's why we gather as a church. Not just so we can come and get goosebumps on Sunday. I'm all for getting goosebumps. That's good. But we need to be around one another so that we can find examples and follow after examples that are a little farther along in their spiritual walk with God than we are. That'd be a great place to say amen. And we should not be patterning our lives after people who are repulsive to the Lord. Their lifestyle is, is against the word of God. And finally, the Lord mocks mockers, but he is gracious to the humble. God has a soft spot for humble people. And God will always resist the proud. God resists the proud. He absolutely does. All right. I'll take you to the next slide, and we'll look at Proverbs 4 and verse number 7. And this is the principle of wisdom first. And it goes like this. Wisdom is the principal thing. Can you say the first thing? It's the beginning. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. I'd like to read that same scripture in the Amplified. It kind of uh, opens the, the scripture up a little for us. The beginning of wisdom is to get skillful and godly wisdom. Skillful, godly wisdom is preeminent. And with all your acquiring, get understanding. Actively seek spiritual discernment, mature comprehension, and logical interpretation. And so we should be seeking wisdom before we seek anything else. I think we understand that. I'll take you to the next slide. I told you if you have attention deficit disorder, this is the perfect lesson for you today because we're jumping through Proverbs. This is exactly how Proverbs does. Proverbs chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse number 8, and I'll give you the theme. This chapter has a, a fairly lengthy theme on the subject of avoiding immoral people, avoiding immoral people, specifically sexually immoral people. And it refers to an immoral woman. I understand that. But the principle also applies women. It applies to you as well to avoid immoral men. Can you say amen? Avoiding immoral people. Verse 8 launches us into this subject. It says, it's talked about it for a few verses here, so I'm kind of jumping in in the middle. But here's what it says after describing. It describes an immoral person uh, rather graphically. And then in verse 8, it says, remove thy way far from her, 
and come nigh, come not nigh the door of her house. Can I just pause? I know the young, the youth group's not in here. I've, I've used this scripture many times in youth classes and at youth events, but there are uh, young adults in this room, and even uh, all of us, it applies to all of us, but young person, especially if you're unmarried, but even if you are married, you have no business being at the house, especially alone with an immoral person who is promiscuous. And let me also say this for those of you that, uh, well, I'm going to just break it down. Uh, here's a little rule that I had that my parents put in my life, and it came from this scripture. I had a, when I was dating and before I was married, uh, when my wife and I were in the process of, of falling in love, I hadn't quite proposed, we had a, a rule. We would never be in a house together alone. And we, even if we were in a house that had other people in the house, we would never be in a bedroom alone. Why? Wisdom. Hello? Anybody awake? That's a good way to live. And, and for all you married folks out there, if it ain't your wife, you don't have any business being alone. Especially in a house. And certainly never a bedroom. Well, we weren't doing anything. How do we know? You were so unwise that now we have to take you. It's he said, she said. You can avoid a lot of heartache. And you can avoid a lot of pain if you'll just use some godly wisdom and some principles from the Proverbs. That'd be a good place for someone to clap their hands and say amen. Sir, you want to build trust with your wife? Make a vow. I'm, I'm, I'm going to avoid immoral people. I'm not going to be alone. That person at work that you know, listen, I, I've, I've, I wasn't a preacher all my life. I've worked in the secular world for a long time, and I worked with a lot of immoral people. They'd party all weekend, and they were all doing all kinds of things, and they'd come back on Monday and brag about it all day long. And, I, and, and everybody knew there were certain people who were willing to do anything. And you know what I did as someone who was trying to live holy? I said, God bless you, but I'm not having anything to do with that. I'm not talking about it. I'm not listening to it. I'm not laughing at it. No. And everybody knew that I was the guy studying to be a preacher. And so I, and you know what? People did. They said, well, that's holier than thou over there. That's okay. I want to be saved. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. They can laugh at me. They can make fun of me. They can call me a Bible thumper, a holy roller, whatever they want to say. But you know what? I've been married 12 years and love my wife more today than I ever have because I stayed true to the principles of the word of God. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm not, ma'am, I'm not talking to you about that. We're not having that. Com no, I love my wife. We're not having this conversation. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. You just stay over there. Uh, God bless you. But we're not having this. Com That's wisdom. Wisdom does not flirt with danger. I'm helping somebody today. Some, I, I feel it in the Holy Ghost. Wisdom does not play with fire, flirt with danger, linger with the eyes. Wisdom, wisdom knows. And the scripture is very clear that, that when you begin to play with, with immorality, even if you're not 
actively engaging in it. But when you just began to interact with immorality, did you know immorality is it's kind of like it's kind of like oil. We used to use the illustration of mud, but I think oil's a better illustration. You ever got oil on you? Have you ever been around someone who had oil on their clothes or oil on their hands? And, and you may never even you may never even touch them, but it seems like if you're around them for any length of time, you'll get home and you'll have oil smudges on you. You know what I'm talking about? You get around that kind, of, and it just and, and when you hang around people who are immoral and they're proud of it and they're and they're just. You know what I'm talking about. People are just blatant with immorality. And you, and you get around that long enough and you start interacting with it. Before you know it, you've got all kinds of things in your spirit and you're thinking all kinds of thoughts you never used to think. Why? Because you started playing around with things that you should have been avoiding. Well, I don't want to seem hateful, preacher. You don't have to be hateful. You can be the kindest person in the room and still be wise and keep your distance. And that's exactly what you ought to do. Drink waters out of thine own cistern and running waters out of thine own well. That's just a, a kind of a, a politically correct way of saying you need to be faithful to your wife. You need to be faithful to your family and stay out of other things. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy what? Of thy youth. Now, uh, I know that I've been kind of gearing some of my remarks towards younger people, but the text indicates, I studied it this week, the text indicates that that particular verse is referring to a middle-aged or an, uh, an elderly individual. And the reason for that is if you don't keep yourself pure, the longer you're married and the older you get, that's how you get these men who are 70 years old, who trade their wife in for a younger model. Is this okay? Y'all okay? We're in the Bible today. You get these old men trading in their wives for a younger model, and they think it's cool. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. You should rejoice in the wife of thy youth. I said you should rejoice in the wife of thy youth. You know, you know why you wanted to trade in for a younger model? Because you started playing around and flirting with immorality, and you got your mind all messed up, and you don't value what you ought to value. It's called foolishness. It's called lack of wisdom. Wisdom cherishes. Wisdom honors. Wisdom loves. Wisdom keeps the main thing the main thing. And wisdom knows if I'll keep my mind pure, if I'll keep my heart pure, if I'll keep my relationships pure, then the relationships that ought to be right will remain right. Can you say praise the Lord? Stand with me. We're running out of time here. Verse 22, an evil man is held captive by his own sins. Did you know your own sins will hold you captive? They are ropes that catch and hold him. And by the way, immorality is one of the most deceptive and addictive sins. It'll, it'll catch a hold of you, and it'll, it'll wrap itself around you. Verse 23, and he will die for lack of self-control, and he will be lost because of his great foolishness. Can I talk to someone today? I, I know I'm a young man. I know there's some elders here. Uh, but I, I just had a conversation with a pastor friend of mine the other day who had an elder, a precious elder, but fell in his later years in this kind of a situation because he did not keep his 
mind pure. Can I just encourage all of us today, especially us men? Men, we understand. Men, we have to keep our mind. We have to make a decision. I'm not going to set any wickedness before mine eyes. I, I, I'm not going to think on those things. I'm going to think on things that are good and lovely and pure and righteous and holy. Those are the things that I'm going to fill my mind with. And so could I encourage us, this, us today? Could we just make a commitment, all of us together, to say, Lord, I'm, I want my mind to be purged. Purge me with hyssop, O oh God. Cleanse me and make me clean. Can we lift our hands right now? I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Somebody ought to just say, Lord, God, we need the Spirit today. Lord, we understand that sometimes wisdom corrects us, and sometimes wisdom rebukes us, and sometimes it, it pricks our hearts a little bit, Lord. But, but God, a wise man loves correction. A wise man receives it, Lord. A wise man understands that being right is more important than being comfortable. And I praise you, Jesus. I glorify you, Lord. Amen. Can we clap our hands to the Lord and give him praise? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many love the word of God, even when it makes us uncomfortable? How many want to be right? How many want to be pure? How many want to be holy? How many want to be faithful? Amen. I believe you do.